Right, so I'm going to read to you from the uh, second Peter, third chapter, verses one to eleven. This is now the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of a reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Saviour through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were since the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to the promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. He would think that John and I had had a conversation really, about what I was going to speak on this morning. But I don't think I've spoken to you this week, have I? I might have waved at you. No, no. <laughs> but this is really a follow-on from Easter. I felt that, you know, sometimes we reach Easter and then it's like falling off a ledge. It's gone for another year. But last weekend, we were privileged to see five people baptised, weren't we? And Stephen spoke to us on the evidence-based reality of Jesus' resurrection. And for 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, he appeared to his followers. And then, from the Mount of Olives, just outside Jerusalem city, he ascended into heaven, leaving those who witnessed it I am sure, with their mouths open, gazing into heaven. We say it, don't we? But, you know, can you imagine? <laughs> and then two angels appeared amongst Jesus' followers and stood before them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way 
as you saw him go into heaven. I wonder if we could just have that picture back on, please. And uh, this morning, I'm talking to you about remembering. Mike's already said that last night we were at Kingsway remembering, remembering 50 years of God's faithfulness and God's love. And uh, it, it, was a, it was a lovely night looking back. But I, I want to speak to you this morning again about remembering, remembering his promise, the promise that he will return one day. At least 500 people had been privileged to see the risen Lord tells you that in 1 Corinthians. How many witnessed Jesus' ascension? I, I'm not sure. But the promise that Jesus would return was well known to the early church. Yet within less than 50 years, believers were being derailed and deceived concerning that promise. So much so that Peter and Paul in some of his epistles, were dealing with problems which arose as a result of that problem. The church, us today, we're still waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. For 2,000 years now, believers have waited expectantly. A century after century has passed. The birth pains which Jesus spoke about that would precede his return continue to shape this earth. Wars, rumors of wars, nation rising against nation, earthquakes, famines, diseases. But as Jesus said, the end is not yet. Since then, you know, many, it's, it's interesting if you want to look it up, if you've got an hour to kill. Many have made predictions. They've, they've even set dates and times based on really complex calculations when Jesus would return, despite the fact that Jesus is said in his word very clearly the time of his return is known only to his father. And believe it or not, one early prediction was calculated based on the dimensions of Noah's ark. Wow. Now, if you can explain that one to me. <laughs> but we base our hope in the return of Jesus, not on the theories and the calculations of men, but upon the dependability and the faithfulness of the one who made the promise. The authors of the Bible speaks today on Second Peter make the point that rather than speculating and calculating and ruminating over dates and times and seasons, Christians should remember that the, del the delay is because God is not willing that any should perish and that we should spend the time that we are waiting preaching the gospel. Stephen asked us a question as he finished last week. He said, we know Jesus rose again. Do you really believe that you will rise again? Now, I want to ask you another question. We know that Jesus ascended into heaven. Do you really believe that Jesus will return for his church? The word of God is clear. 
Jesus is coming again, not as a baby, not born to suffer. When he returns, he will come as the king of all kings, returning to rule and to reign. Scholars have concluded that Peter most likely wrote that letter of 2 Peter while he was in prison in Rome under Nero's reign, awaiting death. This was the time of the persecution of Christians when they were being thrown to the lions and lit up in to as torches in garden parties. Peter believed his death was imminent. He says that in chapter one of the letter. And he was making every effort to counteract the lies of false teachers who were in the midst of this group of believers that he wrote to. And his letter was a reminder of the need to hold on to the truth of scripture and to live in a manner worthy of the calling as they waited for the certain return of the Lord. There was no doubt in Peter's mind. Now, if within 40 years of the death of Jesus, believers needed reminding of these things, how much more do we need reminding 2,000 years later? Peter knew it was important to remember he was a Jew. I always have to go back to this, don't I? But he can't get away from it. These people were Jews. He was brought up in a culture of remembering. And their whole year was structured around remembering the interventions of God in their history and on their behalf. Passover is a very good example of this. Remember the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Jews remember their redemption as a nation. And they still do that all these years later. Similarly, when we break bread, we follow the Lord's instructions to remember. Do this in remembrance of me. It's not that we've forgotten. We don't forget. It doesn't go completely. It's a way of reminding ourselves, reminding ourselves of our salvation and what it cost Jesus. Belief, you know, affects behavior. I'll say that again. What you believe will affect your behavior. It will affect the way that you live. And as losing sight of God's promise was resulting in an eat, drink, and be merry lifestyle for these believers, and they lost sight of the fact that Jesus was returning, losing sight of biblical truth can lead to error and cause Christians to behave in a way that is contrary to a Christian lifestyle. I want you to remember the truth in a world that is filled with lies. I want you to remember the truth in a world that is filled with lies. We live in a world. I'm not saying that everybody lies but the world is filled with lies. It's, on, it's in the media. We can never be sure that the media report things accurately. 
it, it, it's in society at large, it's amongst politicians, it's, it's, world, it's worldwide and it's society-wide. I don't need to go into it. Lies were being spread throughout the Christian community that Peter wrote to. There were false teachers amongst them, preying on newly professed Christians, enticing those who were weak in the faith and leading them into an immoral lifestyle which they told them would liberate them. But as Peter said to them, they're making you into slaves of corruption just as they are. It would appear that some of these deceptions were even coming from people who once professed to be Christians. If you study the whole, it's a letter. You have to read the whole letter. But if you study the letter as a whole, it would appear that some of these people who were spreading the rumours and the lies had even once professed to be Christians. But as Peter uses these charming expressions of a sow returning to a wallowing in the mire and a dog returning to its vomit, it would appear that these people were never saved in the first place. I love Peter. He's so outspoken, isn't he? I mean, you know, it reminds me of some of the things Jesus said, like you, you know, brood of vipers and you whitewashed sepulchres and <laughs> something like that. He says it like it is. But Peter had a much more loving approach to the believers he was writing to. It's very different to his description of the false teachers, bold, willful, irrational animals, creatures of instinct, blots and blemishes, eyes full of adultery, hearts trained in greed, accursed children. That's what he called the false teachers, those that were spreading lies. They'd never have gone to Peter for a character reference, I'm pretty <laughs> sure about that. But Peter's answer to the lies was to say, remember what the prophets said. Remember what you have been taught by the apostles and remember the teaching of scripture. In other words, it's all in the Bible. I'll say again, what you believe affects your behavior. And because they'd turned away from the truths that they'd been taught, and they had adopted sinful lifestyles. Their behavior had become a reflection of the lies that they had embraced and not the truths that they had been taught. And Peter is here reminding them of the truth. You know, you know what the Holy Scriptures say, he says. And there have always been false prophets and there always will be false teachers amongst you. Old Testament prophets warned of the activities of false teachers in their day. I've not time to go into it, but there are many, many examples of that. And Jesus himself, in the days leading up to his crucifixion, on the Mount of Olives again, warned his followers, many false prophets would arise and lead them astray. Look at that in Matthew 24. And as an apostle commissioned by Jesus, Peter reminded them of the things that he had witnessed, the things he had seen as he followed Jesus. He, Stephen mentioned this last week. I was an eyewitness, he said. What I'm telling you is the truth. 
It's based on fact, not on fiction. Jesus was no myth, no fairy story. I saw his power and I saw his glory. That was Peter's testimony. Peter was there when Jesus promised he would return. Peter was there and saw the empty tomb. Peter saw the risen Lord. Peter was there when Jesus ascended into heaven. Peter was there and heard the angels say, he's coming back, he's coming back. Peter knew the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. He was there at Pentecost, read in Acts 2, that disciple that ran away, that denied Jesus. My goodness, what a change there was in him when the Holy Spirit came upon him in power. And he could say without a doubt, I don't follow a myth. What I have seen tells me this is real and Jesus will return as he promised. And it's unlikely that he was prepared to face imprisonment and death for a myth. Young people, John, Mike, me, Nolan, whoever else, sorry if I miss you, Colin, Pauline, we have been at this a long time. We were young once. Believe it or not, we were young once. And we do not follow a myth. We do not follow a lie. We do not tell you fairy stories. Jane, another one, I, I, I look around. We do not follow a lie. The word of God, the truth of the Bible, it is the only way to live in these days. Do not follow lies. As if to reinforce the authority of Scripture above his own testimony, Peter says this in the first chapter of his letter, you do well to pay attention to it, that is the word of God, for no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These believers needed to know the truth that the word of God was given through men inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the word of God said that Jesus would return for his church as he promised. You know, we can all be affected by lies. Lies are destructive. Lies cause wars. Look at the history of the Second World War and the lies that were told about the Jews. Just one example. Lies can destroy communities. There was something in the news recently about a girl that told lies about some Asian men, and it destroyed the community. It can destroy families. Lying destroys families, and lies can destroy churches. Lies, half-truths, and speculation can destroy reputations, and some lies are very subtle. Hath God said? Where have we heard that before? It's as old as the hills. Hath God said? The false teachers cast doubt on the return of Jesus. Where is the promise of his coming? Hath God said? 
How often do we hear this? How can there be a God of love when bad things happen to good people? Just one example. How can there be? When Hope died, our granddaughter, I was asked how I could believe in a God who had allowed her suffering and death. At the time, I was so exhausted, so discouraged, and so sad that it caused me, things like that caused me to lose sight of biblical truth. The inference, people don't mean any harm. But the inference was that the God of the Bible just doesn't exist. I've no clever answers as to why it happened. I still don't know why it happened. And I did struggle. I did struggle. As a Christian, I struggled and I wanted an answer. But I knew that the world had no answer either to the problem of suffering and pain. The truth is I still don't have an answer. But I do know that I've got a risen saviour whose love for me took him to Calvary. And I have chosen, I have made a choice to fix my eyes on the one who understands suffering and pain. And God's word tells me that there is a day to come when all pain, all suffering, all sickness will go. It'll be no more. And it's because of his indescribable love, his indisputable faithfulness, and his unbreakable promises. Those who want to cover up their sinful behavior will try and rewrite the Bible. Hath God said that's wrong? Hath God said? Does the Bible really mean that? They'll say the Bible is irrelevant and out of touch with modern culture. Just as it was when Peter wrote this letter, those that push their depraved agendas upon our society would have us believe that biblical values are not applicable today, that we are the unenlightened ones, that we are the unloving ones, and that it's us who need to change. Don't believe a word of it. We can't change the meaning of God's word to suit the agenda of a minority out there. God's word is God's word. And God's word says what God's word says. And God's word is as applicable today as it was when it was written. And as far as their depraved agendas go, the truth is that the Bible tells us that any form of sexual intimacy outside of a loving marriage between one man and one woman is wrong. And we can't change that. And you know, right belief leads to right behavior. Alistair Begg says in his introduction to Truth, for his, we have his Truth for Life daily readings, and um, he says in this that God's word is the truth that you and I need to navigate every day of this life. Peter had the problem of false teachers 
living amongst them. We have social media. I think social media should come with a, with a health warning. But basically, it should be handled with care. I know it's there, it's out there, and all kids love it. But parents, do you know what your kids are listening to? Do you know who they're learning from? Do you know who they are communicating with? Are they being influenced by lies? There was something on breakfast TV news yesterday about how social media is being used to stir up violence in certain high schools. Messages being passed from one to another. Fights started, filmed, and then put on social media. It, 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 it can have positive effects, but we've got to be very careful with these things. Peter's answer to the lies of those who scoffed at the promises of Jesus' return was to say that Jesus hadn't returned because of any lack on God's part, but because of his patience towards mankind. God is patient. He was patient in the days of Noah, patient with his wayward people in the Old Testament, and he is patient with you and with me. And Peter says it's his patience that's delaying his return when he will come to judge this world. Nevertheless, I believe that that day will come. And the truth is that God is not willing that any should perish. In a world that will tell you anything but the truth, a world that would deceive you by telling you that your salvation is through, uh, can be achieved through your own efforts. The truth is that there is only one way of salvation, and that is through Jesus, yes. who is the way, the truth, and has promised eternal life yes. for all who belong to him. And move on to the second point. Remember God's act in a world filled with threats. Peter wasn't simply dealing with the lies and the resulting problems, but the at their attack on God's ability to do what he promised. Where is the promise of his coming? Nothing ever changes. Everything continues as it always had inferring that God was not capable of intervening in and judging the world. Peter, with remarkable expertise, I think, disproves their accusations by using their own arguments against them. He says, things have not continued as they always done. <laughs> what about the flood? They were inferring that things hadn't changed since the beginning of the world. But he says, what about the flood? By the same word that created the world and all that is in it, God deluged the earth with water, destroying it. And it will be by his word that God will call time on this world as we know it. Jesus will return and the day of the Lord will come. There are differing opinions from Bible interpreters as to what and how and when these events will come to pass. 
Some believe that the return of Jesus and the judgment will happen at the same time. Others see them as two completely different events. You know, God hasn't given us his timetable. He's not put it on a spreadsheet. The how and the when is known only to God. It's not only the Bible that warns us about the end of the world. According to an article in this month's premier Christianity magazine, I was intrigued with this, there are widespread predictions amongst scientists, academics, and journalists regarding the increased likelihood of the annihilation of the world. The doomsday clock, so-called, because it reflects the likelihood of a man-made global catastrophe, was set in January of this year to 90 seconds before midnight, the closest it has ever been to global catastrophe since this metaphorical countdown began in 1947. Now, I had never heard of the doomsday clock, but our Lewis explained it to me. Apparently, it was something uh, Einstein and a few other scientists got together and, uh, and, and set up. Uh, and it, I have looked into it, and I got Mike to check it, that it wasn't some crank organization. But they, it is written by atomic scientists, and according to their bulletin, the clock has become a universally recognized indicator of the world's vulnerability to global catastrophe caused by man-made technologies. In other words, man has the ability and the tools to bring large-scale destruction to this planet. And we have never been as close to that possibility as we are now. The Russian-Ukrainian war and the implications of that and the global pandemic are hot on the heels, uh, 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 you know, the war's hot on the heels of it, have apparently fueled these fears. And according to the atomic scientists, this is a time of unprecedented danger. Well, that's cheered you all up, hasn't it? <laughs> now, I realize that these issues are serious threats. They're serious threats. But I believe that there's an all-important factor which most of these doomsday predictions are ignoring here. And despite what the false teachers, the mockers, and the scoffers were insinuating regarding God's ability to fulfill his promise in Peter's day, the truth is that there is a God in heaven who is all-powerful, and it is he who sustains this world. And it will be at his word that the heavens and the earth as we know them will pass away. Colin was sharing with our DC group See, I do listen, Colin, <laughs> that whilst considering the goodness and the faithfulness of God, he was reminded that God had kept the promise that he made to Noah, that the seasons would continue, and thousands of years later, despite what is happening with climate change, the appearance of the rainbow demonstrates God's ability to keep his promises. The same God who created this world by his word and promised that the seasons would continue is the same one who sustains this world 
by the word of his power. And this same God, you know, will through the power of his word return for his church. And he'll judge all unrighteousness because he has promised he will do so. The instability of the world appears to threaten this world's very existence. Powerful men and women seem to threaten any hope of world peace. But we must always remember that it's not the threats of destruction which control our destiny. It's the powerful word of God and his intervention in the affairs of this world which will continue to sustain us until that day when he returns. The last point, I want you to remember the end and look forward to a new beginning. And Peter draws his letter to a conclusion by reminding his flock that the day of the Lord will come. There will be an end to the waiting, that Jesus will return suddenly, unexpectedly, spectacularly. And in the light of that certainty, he asks the question, what sort of people ought they to be? Peter tackled the doubt. He taught them the truth. And as they wait for the Lord, he expects that their lifestyle will reflect Christian beliefs. If we really believe that one day Jesus will return for his church and God will judge all unrighteousness, then that belief should determine how we live. Despite the destructive picture of the end, which Peter describes, and we can get carried away and our minds can run riot, but I believe that Peter's emphasis is more on the expectation that God is going to recreate the world, which is, his expectation is far superior of, of a world that is far more wonderful and superior than the one that he was familiar with. Earlier in his ministry, um, Peter said in Solomon's portico when he was speaking to Jews after the healing of the lame man, he says in reference to the return of Jesus, that Jesus has been received by heaven until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by his holy prophets. Recreation, restoration, rather than devastation, Believers can look forward to a new earth, new heavens in which, very importantly, righteousness dwells. Toward the end of his time on earth, Jesus spoke these very familiar words to his troubled disciples. And you'll know them. John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house and many mansions, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, then I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus' departure meant that one day he would return for those who believe in him to begin a new life in eternity with him. He was using first century wedding imagery 
when he spoke those words. He was saying effectively that the bridegroom had come to pay the bridal price, after which he would return to his father's house to make preparations for the time when he brought his bride home. During the waiting period, a first century Jewish bride would spend the time preparing herself for his return. The bride had no idea how long she would have to wait as the time of the bridegroom's return was known only to the bridegroom's father. The time for the bridegroom to return was dictated by his father. When the wedding day came, the groom would come in procession with his friends. Their imminent arrival was no secret and it would have been seen by everyone around because there would be blowing of shofars, everyone carried torches and there would be a lot of noise. And in procession they would march to the bride's house. There the wedding ceremony would take place. He would collect his bride and they would return to his home that he had prepared for a wedding banquet. You get the similarities there. The bride is waiting for the day. She's waiting for that day, which is known only to the father. She's waiting for her bridegroom to appear. She's a lot to look forward to. The end of this life as we know it, but the beginning of a life in God's presence. No one can know with any certainty what the future holds. But... To use that old cliche, we know the one who does. You know, if Mike and I had known how awful the weather was going to be on our wedding day, we'd have chosen another day. If I'd known I was going to spend nearly half of my honeymoon with diarrhea and vomiting, I, 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 w I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have gone to Mallorca. We <laughs> but, but we'd managed 53 years, so it didn't put us off. Um, it, it, but we didn't know, we didn't know what, what the day was going to be like when we organised it. Otherwise, we would have been prepared. We could have changed the day, or I could have abandoned the dress and put on waterproofs in a sou'wester. But thankfully, we have a God who knows the future. He holds the future in his hands. And he has revealed what we need to know about the future so that we can be prepared. Because one day, every believer will cross the line from mortality to immortality, from perishable to imperishable, because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And because he lives, we will live also. Remember, his word is the truth. His word tells us the truth. Remember, it is by the power of his word that he will accomplish all this. And remember that we have a new home to look forward to where righteousness reigns. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he is patiently waiting for you because he is not willing that any should perish. And I want to finish with these wonderful words from Revelation. 
Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. No wheelchairs kneel, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Do you believe? that one day Jesus will return for his church? Do you believe it? Make sure this morning that you're part of it. Amen.